Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm still thinking about um, our last conversation with Ron Dalton, the president of Innocence Canada who himself was convicted of murder, as we told you, as you know, in the death of his wife, served 12 years in prison before forensic evidence, proved him innocent. And Robert Mailman, 76, Walter Gillespie, 80, in New Brunswick, acquitted earlier this week by um, the Chief Justice of the King's Bench Court in St. John of murder convictions dating back to 40 years. 40 years. Mr. Mailman is now... Months from from dying, terminally ill. Mr. Gillespie's 80. And then there was David Milgard, who played you the clip from David. Serious issue here. Uh, Daryl from New Brunswick, same place, sends a text to 877-399-9898. And he writes in part, Good afternoon, Roy. Sounds like some lawyers and judges need some jail time. You think? Judicial lynching was the term I used. Scott Newark joins us. Uh, Scott is, as you know, if you listen to this program, former Alberta Crown Attorney, former Executive Officer of the Canadian Police Association, Senior Policy Advisor to a Federal Minister for Public Safety, and Vice Chair of the Ontario Office for Victims of Crime. I made learning about the Canadian justice system something that I've tried to do and, and be very careful with for 30-plus years, and what I've learned about the justice system, I've learned from Mr. Newark. How are you, Scott? Good, Roy. How are you? I'm good. When you hear, you're a prosecutor, when you hear about these sorts of cases, and, uh, and, and Ron Dalton told us on the, on the prison range that he was on for lifers, there were... 20 of them who put, put together that little group where they would get together and talk. Six of them have already been found innocent of the crimes they were acquitted, uh, uh, of the, convicted of, and all their, all their appeals had been exhausted. I mean, and then when Mailman and, and Gillespie go to court in New Brunswick last week, day one of the retrial, Crown gets up and says, we have no evidence. We suggest we recommend you acquit. So they did after they both spent 20 on, well, together, spent 40 years in prison. How does that, how does that happen, Scott? Well, I think it's a, um, a couple of things. It's a reflection, I think, of the, um, shall we say, culture um, within the different components of the criminal justice system in Canada. And I don't mean um, just the police or prosecutors or judges or the professionals uh, you know, for example, the psychiatric experts that come in, and as well the uh, uh, correctional uh, bureaucracy as well, too. I think it's a reflection of a culture that is essentially we know best. 
and is inherently resistant to anyone asking questions about how they are doing things. And, you know, you mentioned, uh, Roy, I was still a prosecutor, and I was uh, exposing cases of high-risk repeat offenders who'd been released on parole, never should have been, and went out and killed people, and then the system covered it all up. And I was able, because of, you know, my background and my connections, to get at the truth, essentially. And I had come to Ottawa to testify. It turned out I was the first frontline prosecutor to do that and to ask the right questions. And that's how you and I connected, if you remember back then. I do. And, and it was about that systemic non-performance and the consequences for the public. And look... Most of my experience of, about this has been, you know, the non-performance of the justice system or the failure to prosecute, things like that. But ours is a historical, cultural system, our, our criminal justice system. And it's there for the public interest and the public good. And at the core of that is a commitment to getting at the truth and doing what's right. And part of that is acknowledging when mistakes are made. And, uh, you know, you and I have exposed things over the years for many, many cases. And I'm, I'm as I say, mine are mostly on the other side. But I'm glad to see this uh, Innocence Canada project because that's a real part of overall systemic accountability and public confidence is that the truth actually matters. And you got to get at that. You remember we had a conversation years ago with Doug Walsh, who was the Assistant Attorney General in the state of Washington. He was on the air with you and me. Yeah. And he said to both of us, because justice issues were massive at the time, it should be again. Yeah. Uh, he said, if you have a justice system that people don't trust, you don't have a justice system. That's right. That's right. And, and it also can, with <coughs> some of the kinds of changes that are made, and, and perhaps the most significant of all, is even the uh, enactment and implementation of the Charter of Rights. And I had the unique experience of being a prosecutor before the Charter was in place and then being a prosecutor after it was in place. And I saw, you know, multiple impacts, not all good, not all bad, but that it's had on our overall system and on the people who are the public officials within it and on the, uh, uh, what I would call, you know, the growth, I like to refer to them as the uh, juristocracy, especially at the Supreme Court level, the we know best about everything approach, and what impact that has actually had. And so anything that, in my experience and opinion, anything that supports both transparency and accountability is a positive step on either side. So. I, I'm glad you talked about that because listening to Ron Dalton was, uh, well, it's amazing always because you realize that you're talking to him and he's explaining things from Innocence Canada's perspective. He's yeah. a guy who spent 12 years in prison for a, yeah. a murder he didn't com commit. His wife. So that's just brutal. Look, I called it a judicial lynching. Um, but but the story this week that has everyone's, not everyone's, but has generated attention across the country, is uh, from Peterborough in Ontario. At a convenience right. store, a 22-year-old clerk was helping a customer when a male with a baseball bat entered the store, 
allegedly demanding cash, and striking the clerk with that bat. Then a fight ensued. The clerk grabbed the baseball bat, chased the would-be robber outside the store, and allegedly proceeded to hit the man several times with the bat. The allegedly comes into play again somewhere, I'm not sure where, because the robber was taken to hospital for treatment while the clerk was treated by EMS on site. So, Scott, the Peterborough story, the 22-year-old grabs the baseball bat from the would-be thief, alleged thief, who would hit him with it, and the 22, allegedly, and the 22-year-old clerk allegedly chases the alleged robber down the alleged street and b- hits him with the alleged baseball bat, and now is not allegedly, is actually facing criminal charges. What do you make of that? Well, um... And, and I think the another point that is important is that what also got a lot of public attention was the response by the Peterborough police chief on uh, Twitter or whatever it's called now, um, in effect defending his officers. Yeah. And I thought he actually did a, a good job of trying to point to, you know, uh, hold back on your opinions, and you know our system is designed to. Get at the truth, and you know you will find that in there, and that is absolutely correct. However, one of the things that you didn't mention that is equally important is that it's not only the 22-year-old clerk that is now facing criminal charges; it's also the 37-year-old robber. No well, surprise, surprise. With, with the uh, the bat on a pre-planned robbery. Okay, so there's. You know, some both sides of this that deserve some attention, and uh, one of the things that I saw in the same story that you referred to in the uh, that was commenting on the chief's response was his disappointment that people thought that the police, you know, were uh, just looking the other way and they were, you know, uh, Scott, Scott, Scott. The chief has to grow a bit thicker skin. People have a right to comment on their justice system. You and I have yeah, been doing they, it for years. And he has an obligation and a right to defend the actions of his police officers. And there's so much we just don't know about this. And that, that's part of what the chief was getting at was he said, like, there's tons of video surveillance here. Instead of everybody assuming that they know okay, what's going can I, on. Okay, can, can I just do this then? If we take the actual people, the real people, out of the discussion and just say, here's a hypothetical situation. Here's what happened. It's hypothetical. Is the 22-year-old store clerk in this hypothetical situation uh, potentially guilty of a criminal offense? Well, we'll put it this way. Um, Our law will answer that question, not social media. Okay? We have very, very detailed provisions. No, no, I know. I know. What I'm trying to get you to tell me is... Well, that's what should do it. No, but what I'm trying to get get you to tell me is what is and what is not self-defense. It has to be... uh, It it can occur. It's not just uh, for uh, protection for police officers. It can apply to civilians. Section uh, 34 and 35 of the Criminal Code provide real details. It can also be used to justify uh, use of arrest uh, without a warrant by a civilian. Okay, so it's all there. The legal framework is all there, but it should be based on the evidence. One of the things that really struck me about this in the uh, judge, the uh, uh, 
uh, police chief's comments was his inclusion of, oh, yeah, you know, they think it's, it's a weakness of the system and that it's based on race. And I thought, race? Like, why would it be race? And so I poked around for a little while, and um, I, fa- I found reference in a different media story that the a guy that was the clerk is a 22-year-old, uh, He's and based on the photograph and his name, he's either, I would think, uh, South Asian or Middle Eastern. But you can see the response, the cultural response, if you will, that, you know, the police are, are facing. And I can tell you, having worked with police officers, you know, my entire career, this can be devastating to them that they're being accused of doing something, you know, um, immoral, wrong, and everything else. But people are, people are going to have opinions. Yes. So, so let, me, let, me, let me bring up a different scenario because we only have about three or four minutes. So let's say you're in your home, because this happened a couple of years ago, and I think in Bracebridge or Ontario, someplace like that. You're in your home, suddenly your door's kicked in. Three guys come in wearing masks, they've got a gun. They start to assault you and your wife. They tie your dog to your leg with uh, those, what do you call those things? Tied, what do they call those things, the plastic things? Tags. Yeah, whatever. So... They're assaulting you, and somehow you get free, you get into a fight, you take the shotgun away from the, uh, the guy, the, the robber with the shotgun, shoot him dead. Now you're facing criminal charges, manslaughter charges. Look, somebody who's facing that kind of assault in their home in the middle of the night isn't thinking, oh, what's going to get me into trouble and what isn't going to get me into trouble? I, you do what you have to do, and I think that's why so many states in the U.S. have legislated the Castle Doctrine. You, you violate the Castle Doctrine, you take whatever's at the other end of the door. But the point of that uh, scenario that you just described, and there have been multiple examples of it, of course, is that it is based, the decision about not only whether somebody should be convicted of an offense, but whether they should even be charged with the Absolutely. is based on facts. Not about social media tweets. No, no, Scott, stop with the social media. No, th- listen, that's what the police chief was responding to. I don't to care about the police chief. I don't care people. about the police chief. I'm talking about the home invasion. You, 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 you react to the situation. Part of our law, and there are legal standards and legal exceptions, and that's where it needs to be. Okay, used. tell that to Robert Mailman and Walter Gillespie. Well, that's the whole point, okay? And not every case is the same. Come on, okay? But that is the whole point. And look, do we even know, for example, does uh, that part of Ontario have the uh, requirement that all charges, serious charges, have to be approved in advance by the Crown like B.C. does? I don't know, okay? Those, and that's, I think, one of the most important things about this is that you've got to get at the truth, and that, I think... Uh, emphasizes the role that informed me. Yeah, okay, so that chief that chief of police, and I respect him for what he does, what he's writing will actually discourage people, many people, from trying to get at the truth in the only way they know how. Uh, I think what he's trying to do is to say, hey, trust our system and... Uh, tell that to tell it. that to Robert Mailman and Walter Gillespie. Yeah, but you don't base the analysis and trust of the entire system based on individual cases. David Milgard. 
Yeah, it's fine. Robert Baltovich. Um, Clinton Suzak. Clifford Olson. It's on both sides of the equation, Roy. Okay. No, and but I'm talking. I'm talking. We system. were we were getting at self defense. You and I have done this too many times. You know how much I respect you, and I know you respect the law. But I know you're also demanding that it be properly applied. And look, citizens have a right to speak out. And I don't believe that a, that, a, that a police chief, with due respect to the chief, I'm sure he's a wonderful man, does a great job. But the police chief can't tell the people of the country, don't express your opinions. No, and, and I think what he could have done better, actually, was to emphasize the point that I was just making, which is, you know, the, this is something that is just ultimately decided by our legal system, and there are all sorts of aspects that need to be addressed, and people should speak up about that and follow the proceedings so that justice is... Look, I mean, you know, we even have, for example, uh, what's called alternative measures. Yeah. If they decide that, uh, you know, really wasn't that Scotty, serious, or what are the facts? Scotty, uh, Scotty, I gotta go. It's the end all of the right. show. It's the end of the show. All right, bye-bye. You know, I love you, brother. Talk okay. to you soon. See yeah, you Scott Newark. If you want to hear more... Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.